It is another Wednesday night here on the Wrestling Inc. social platform, so you know what that means. It means Alfred, it means Justin, it means AEW Dynamite post-podcast, as we said, on the number one news site for pro wrestling, WrestlingInc.com. At Justin LaBar, at This Is Nasty, Alfred Kunoa back in L.A. on the grid. I'm here with you coming from uh, Pittsburgh just after 10.13 Eastern Time. Alfred, what a night. Uh, we get a... Uh, uh, a variety-filled dynamite, a little bit of everything here, uh, whether you wanted women's wrestling, whether you wanted some shoot cowboy, whether you wanted some flaming tables, ECW. Uh, we got a little bit of it all, which we will uh, digest into. Before we get into that, how are you? How was the rest of the holiday Thanksgiving week for you? Uh, doing great. Uh, you know, when I was off the grid, it was actually very fun. I cannot uh, talk about all my exploits being off the grid because that's how it was. Uh, but it's good to be connected back to Wi-Fi here in Inglewood. Uh, it was a lot of fun in Chico, California. Had myself a good time. Uh, walked around the beautiful parks that are there and all the great things there is to do. Shout out to Sierra Nevada, which is made in Chico, California. But uh, it, was, it was a fun time. And uh, it's good to be back. Good to be back talking wrestling on Dynamite. Alfred Kunawa, Aaron Rodgers... Brian Cage, Sierra Nevada Brew. I mean, Chico. You know, it's 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 becoming it's becoming more and more a a, a major part of this podcast. Chico, California. <laughs> they should do a documentary on Chico, California. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll produce it, Justin. Okay. Chico, California. Uh, tonight's podcast, of course, brought to you by Manscaped. They're with us for the remainder. Uh, they've been with us for much of 2021, and they're with us the remainder of 2021. Uh, we just got through Thanksgiving. We talked about being thankful for them. We'll talk about how you can stock your stuffing with Manscaped, uh, literally and figuratively, I guess you could say. Uh, we'll touch on that in just a little bit. Uh, but first, let's touch on some news headlines. Uh, of course, you can find all the news in the wrestling world 24-7, 365 on WrestlingInc.com. Uh, we got two we'll touch on. First, let's do the WWE side of things. Uh, WWE removing Liv Morgan's comments. Uh, on the YouTube clip re- uh, showing what happened on Raw, they, they end up editing out these comments. And if you missed it, uh, in the contract signing with Liv Morgan and Becky Lynch, uh, Liv Morgan makes a reference saying, you know, how Becky, her ego's out of control and, and this and that. And it's, and it's her contract, which is the reason why some of Liv's friends aren't there anymore, kind of insinuating and taking a shot, of course, at the uh, budget cuts that has, uh, you know, resulted in so many talent and WWE real uh, cut in the last uh, two years. So, um, you know, a little, again, work shoot. These comments always are, I mean, I saw social media buzzing when this happened. Um, but WWE taking it off of the YouTube edited version of this segment. Uh, why? Um, it was actually kind of surprising to see them go there in a promo like that because WWE doesn't like bringing negative attention to itself, especially when it comes to these budgetary cost cuts that they've made that they've largely ignored ever since they've been happening. This has been going on for the better part of a year in terms of mass cuts that WWE's made, and we really don't get any references to this on WWE television. And I think this is just a moment where WWE felt that they wanted to be more edgy. Uh, they wanted to be, you know, maybe they were inspired by the MGF CM Punk promo because there were references to that later on in the night. Uh, in addition to another reference to people getting fired. So uh, I don't know. It just kind of felt I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was well delivered by Liv Morgan, but I don't think it's fair to judge it by what I think. I'm sure there's a lot of people who legit got fired and are not happy with that. And maybe WWE's considering that. Maybe they're considering the fact that it is. You know, a lot of people may have thought that was in low taste, uh, but uh, they're just playing it safe. WWE does not like negative controversy, and it looked like it was heading toward that way. And I think that's a lot of the reason why they took this out. Unless Liv said it and it was not cleared. Oh, 
Well, I mean, I, word on the street is she was clear to say that I can't imagine she would say something like that uh, just as a shoot in terms of just going off the hip. Then, you know, <laughs> we'll see based on how long that match lasts against Becky Lynch. But I would be shocked if she just went into business for herself there. Yeah, what are they? What are they? What's the old saying? Sometimes it's uh, better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I she does not see like you know, this is her big break at the moment. Um, I don't know if this is how Vince would define grabbing the proverbial brass ring uh, by going off something that he has not approved. But that, I mean, that is one of the things that makes you think when they let it happen on live TV and then it gets edited. You're like, well, was there a breakdown of communication of what she was allowed or supposed to say? But uh, I could also well, buy in what you're saying. Again with Edge, you kind of know that then it starts to be like, okay, well, this is a theme. It's not like unless Edge went into business for himself, too. <laughs> He's more likely to go. I mean, yeah. he has this, he has the status. I mean, what do you, you know what? He's got the status of he he could do that and he could truly ask for the forgiveness later. You know, Liv Morgan, obviously, in a, in a much, a much less established spot uh but you know to your point it could have been they went with it and then yeah, you're right after the fact maybe they maybe they end up hearing some phone calls or emails from some disgruntled either cut talent or even current talent saying hey that's really screwed up that was my friend and their family that just lost their job you know we're gonna use this to get a little extra heat uh, on on big time becks um so i don't know but hey it's doing what it needs to do it's got us yapping about it that's that's the whole point so uh job well done i suppose uh if just if that's just the measure uh, of buzz Somebody else who's going to have a lot of buzz, uh, has some buzz with a story. We'll have buzz when we talk about Dynamite here in a moment. Is Cody Rhodes. He says his future is with AEW. Uh, doing an interview with Sports Illustrated, it was noted how the Young Bucks' recent contract extension, and uh, that led to speculation about Rhodes and maybe even uh, Kenny Omega, another EVP, about perhaps that their current deals would be expiring soon then. If the Bucks had to get an extension, then maybe Kenny and Cody, are they in the same same boat or what? And uh, Cody assures that he is AEW. He's he's not going anywhere. He is AEW for life. This is his project. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I guess this is just what you you expect to hear this from an EVP, whether it's the truth or not. Whether even if he had any smallest inkling of ever leaving, while you're sitting in executive position, you're never going to publicly even consider uh, being anywhere else. Yeah, and of course you could always be suspicious that this is just him being the company man and saying what he's quote unquote supposed to be saying. But at this juncture, if you're just kind of, if you're Cody Rhodes looking at your future, I couldn't imagine him leaving AEW for any reason. Uh, Mostly because, I mean, you could argue he's like the hottest guy in the company right now based on reactions alone. Maybe not based on how he's positioned on the card, but that reaction for Cody Rhodes, I mean, if they play this correctly, and really they don't have to overthink this. I really don't think they should do that much in terms of Cody's character. If they play this correctly, within a year, Cody, you know, I know he's not supposed to be competing for a world title, but at the very least will be the top guy in terms of the number one storyline and whatnot in the company. And if you're projecting toward 2024, uh, I don't see why Cody would want to leave AEW, especially, you know, the default would be, is he going to go to WWE? I mean, he's the guy essentially who's looked at as one of the people who fired the first shots against him by going to AEW and starting AEW. And I just think, you know, I know WWE and they're a very petty company for better or for worse. And I just don't think they would ever be able to kind of let that go and let Cody thrive in WWE. Oh, for sure. I've said this you know, I've said this on these podcasts before. You know, all, we all we talk about all these released talent from WWE. Who's the next one to come over? You know, and I and then the, 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 let's look at it the reverse way. Who's the first real big AEW name to go to WWE? Whether it's the first time in WWE, whether it's them returning to WWE, and I do not uh, that 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 talent might get a really nice fat contract, 
but it does not mean that they are not going to get embarrassed and not going to have a, a, a point made to them or, or, or made an example of, uh, at least as long as the current administration is in charge of WWE. You know, if the you know, if somebody maybe more wrestling pure, I don't know, you know, if a triple H or somebody different is in charge, maybe it's a different mindset and we're not we're not playing these kind of games, uh, no pun intended to triple H, but the way it currently stands, I would not want to be the first AEW star to uh to go to Stanford. Um yeah, so so Cody, I mean I you know, I you don't force you don't think he'd ever leave I mean, but you know, things always change. I guess if the dynamics ever changed, if right now everything's riding high, momentum strong for AEW and they're still they got that um Still have the new car smell. They still have the new kid on the block smell. That uh, so uh, eventually, as time goes on, that might wear off. And if dynamics change, you never know. But yeah, for the foreseeable future, I have a hard time imagining any of these EVPs being anywhere else, um, but with the current Tony Khan and company project. All right, let's jump into the dynamite coming to you from the ATL Atlanta, uh, Cody's backyard, which we'll note that here in a little bit. And we kick it off with Hangman Page coming out. He's going to get on commentary. Jim Ross is going to be absent from commentary uh, for a little bit here as he deals with um, skin cancer, I believe, is his skin cancer treatment and recovery. Well, soon. He's got a lot of radiation treatment coming up, but I'm just, you know, my thoughts are with JR. And he does add something to the commentary. As much as I did think that it was good in parts, I, I did feel like something was missing a little without JR. Yeah, so they decided to supplement by just kind of have a, having a rotating cast of talents uh, work in the third chair. At first, when I saw Hangman Page come out, I kind of I was like, wait, are they going to have him be on commentary for the entire show? Uh, which I wasn't crazy about because I didn't like how ultra babyface that made that panel be, that, 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 that three-man booth be. But we would soon find out here in a second that it was just uh, going to be the first of several to do commentary uh, related to their segment that's going on. So Hangman Page gets out there. Brian Danison coming out for his match against Allen Five Angels, who is from Atlanta, getting the Atlanta pop. Uh, Danison makes uh, pretty easy work of him, all things considered. Uh, he hits the running knee, but he doesn't go for the pin. Uh, he keeps stomping the head over and over. Then he puts on a knee bar, won't let go, and proceeds to talk about how he you know, kicked Cole Cabana's tooth out of his head last week at Chicago. He just uh, stomped the brains out of Allen Angels here in Atlanta. Next week, he's going to destroy somebody from Long Island in Dark Order, which would be John Silver, uh, and then proceeds to start to talk trash uh, to Hangman Page. And, of course, Hangman and Co- or Hangman and, um, and, and Brian, they cannot touch as the rule of Tony Khan because they are going to fight in two weeks. Two weeks' time, Alfred, uh, in Texas, in, in the Dallas area, uh, Cowboys backyard. They are going to fight. Uh, at winter is coming, so we're not going to have to wait as long as I thought originally that we would for this uh, title match between these two. Yeah, and either this is fortuitous timing for AEW being able to have all these matches consecutively in these Dark Order members' hometown, or they're just like their long-term booking is off the charts. Like it's one of the two, but I think it's so cool that they've been able to go to these hometowns. And hey, now AEW is beating people in their hometown. Let's let's finish in that. But I, I do like the fact that now they're going to go to Long Island. He had that very clever line in saying, even though Hangman Adam Page is not from Dallas, Texas, it is cowboy country, you know, and he's the cowboy. So I really like that thread that Brian Danielson is going to destroy all these people in their hometowns. And uh, I thought Brian Danielson was great, taking a page out of the Diaz Brothers book with the flex while he was uh, tapping out Alan Angels. And I thought this was exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, I, I got to say, AEW, you're right. They do. Uh, they have a well-focused job on their tour schedule. Everything from things like this that they weave into the stories uh, of Brian kind of running the gauntlet, making a making a point to beat these guys in their towns, and even just to the way they promote it. You know, they it's very back to basics, old school, but 
you know, I guess we look at WWE who tour so much and they don't do this. So at least they go opposite and like, yeah, they're coming to Cleveland. So they, they throw Wardlow front and center on all, on all the material for Cleveland. And, and, you know, when they go to DC in January, I'm sure Nyla Rose will have a spot from there. That's where she's from. And long Island. MJ, like, so, I mean, it's, 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 it's super simple. And I know it's, it is super simple, but the fact that they do it and they do it so well is kind of a breath of, of, of live event, fresh air there uh, of, of what to do. So, yeah, big show next week in Long Island here. John Silver up against Brian Danielson. John Silver returning home to the New York area. It's going to be super over. I mean, John Silver, talk about a guy who was just supposed to be just the on-the-fringe extra uh, in Dark Order and has emerged to be one of the top stars. Yeah, and he's oh. beloved among these AEW fans. And, I mean, he gets big reactions outside of his hometown. And now that it's been made – aware that he is from the long island area you know that's going to be huge and it, it's good yeah you're absolutely right the more AEW could do this with more of their stars it's going to seem more like sports where somebody's going to have a hometown advantage it's going to be easier for fans to get into it and they really should telegraph on television when somebody's hometown is a certain specific area absolutely up next lee moriarty up against cm punk mjf on commentary for this one uh a little bit of competitive match, and that's going to come into play in a post-match promo here in a minute. Uh, Punk giving Lee some shine. Ultimately, though, Punk is going to get the win. He's now 8-0 in AEW. Has not lost, of course. Uh, MJF on commentary has got a few uh, jabs at Punk in his appearance. Says uh, CM stands for cooking meth. Just take a look at the guy. Uh, had a few other uh, digs at the very notoriously well-known straight-edge CM Punk. And then we get into the real stuff. The post-match promo of MJF gets on the mic, standing up at the stage. Says, you're not the best in the world, man. What are you talking about? You're struggling to beat Lee. You're struggling to beat QT Marshall. It's almost much. It's almost as hard as you're trying to get into Britt Baker's pants uh, and proceeds to, to drop that line uh, at Punk. And then uh, Punk fires back, says QT and Lee are better than MJF, and he knows it. Uh, MJF uh, then tops it off with talking about how uh, he's going. He, he threatens CM Punk's dog. CM Punk's dog, Larry. Uh, and and <laughs> MJF basically says, you keep bringing Larry to shows, I'm going to put him to sleep. Uh, which prompts CM Punk to chase down MJF. Wardlow steps out on the stage and stands in between the two, and that's how this segment would end. Uh, Alfred, where do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. You did a great job, but I- I've got to give round two to MJF here, and I'm including his commentary because I thought MJF was fantastic in this segment, especially he's just sitting on commentary, like seconds into this match, he's complaining that CM Punk doesn't have it anymore. And it really did mirror what you kind of hear on social media, what you hear about people saying, well, CM Punk, why does he have to be the nice guy? Why hasn't he done this, that, and the other? I want to see him face MJF. And I think MJF was channeling that. So I think that's what really helped it in terms of him just burying CM Punk on commentary. And I thought they were really good together interacting again. I think uh, this was very well done in terms of segment. I don't know if this was done on purpose, but I really like the fact that the the show opened with Brian Danielson with a dominant win over Alan Angels. And then immediately after, you see CM Punk having this very competitive match with Lee Moriarty, a relative unknown who's really talented, but somebody who obviously isn't at the level of the CM Punk in terms of star power. And so for MGF to bring that up, how come it's taking him so long? We've already seen how somebody of CM Punk's equal is just vanquish somebody. And I think that really made it stick more, that juxtaposition between those two. Yeah, another line from MJF uh, talking about how MJ, uh, you know, Punk needs MJF, and MJF is uh, the only spark that can even get close to the flame uh, that MJ, that CM Punk last had in 2011. Uh, of course, yeah. making reference to the you know the pipe bomb uh, period of time. 
Uh, this might be, uh, and, and it's a credit to the, again, old school, credit to the mic work. <clears throat> I don't know if there's been a match, never never mind AEW, but I guess just any pro wrestling in the last year or two that I've been getting this geek to see the two guys get physical because they have not gotten physical because they are such just explosive personalities on the microphone on their own. And then so when you brought them together, we, you know, we, we've been waiting for this, uh, you know, verbal you know, showdown of the OK Corral, you know, just three, two, one draw, fire your best shot. Uh, so I'm really pumped. We again, This one's one we don't know when they're actually going to get the touch and have a match. Um, you know, we again, we know we'll get more of it next week at MJF's, which will be interesting too. MJF speaking really positively about Long Island. That's where he's from and kind of, ba- you know, it's the only crowd he's baby faced up on the mic. It'll be interesting to see how they do react next week. Do they play along to that? Or, or, or is it even there, are they anti-MJF and then and how that all, you know, we've, we've, we've seen it, we've seen AEW in Queens, we have not seen them there on Long Island, so this will be fun to watch what the dynamic of the fans are. Yeah, yeah, and I think MJF will embrace the challenge of becoming a heel in his hometown. Even if he does get those initial cheers, I think he'll do everything he can to turn that crowd against him. Well, if you want to get cheers, this is where we tell you about Manscaped. That's right, Manscaped. Wonderful friends of the podcast, and of course, always helping uh, this podcast, always helping hook you up with Manscaped. There you see it on your screen, manscaped.com. Uh, using the code WINC20, you get to save 20% and get free shipping. It is the holiday season, and if you don't know what to get as a gift or a stocking stuffer, then we ask you to consider Manscaped. It has the tools to guarantee you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the leader in men's below-the-waist grooming, and they have served more than 4 million men worldwide, two of them right here. If my math is correct, that's almost yeah four times, 8 million balls. Eight million balls have been served up here by Manscaped. Uh, again, manscaped.com. Save 20% plus free shipping using the code WINC20. Ho, 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 fellas. Naughty or nice. Tis the season to perform and be looking and feeling good. Manscaped's best-selling product is the Performance Package 4.0, which is at the top of every man's wish list this year. Inside, you'll find the Lawnmower Body Trimmer. It is the best trimmer on the market to help reduce any of those uh, nicks and uh, tugs. Uh, let's also not forget about the crop preserver, the ball deodorant, the ball toner. They also got uh, the nice shaving kit bag. Also, some brand new, some brand new things you can put in the stocking stuffer. They, these just arrived uh, just recently for me, Alfred, and that is the new two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Plus, they got the body wash. They also got the cologne. It's the cologne-infused body wash. They got the Shears 2.0 luxury four-piece nail set. The crop mops. They got the signature cologne. All of this could be wonderful items. If you're a guy and you need to to, uh, find a stocking stuffer for your fellow man, ladies, if you're trying to find a stocking stuffer or a gift for your man or your significant other, this could be it. Make sure you hurry up, get to their site, and sure these wild gifts show up before the holiday season. We do know all about all the delays in shipping this year. They will get it to you, though, free shipping, and save you 20% if you use the code WINC20 at manscaped.com. Just stress, December 25th is coming quick, so make sure you don't hesitate. Don't sit on this. Don't sleep on Manscaped. They are the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, and they are sponsors of this podcast, and we thank them very, very much for manscaped.com. Shout-out to Manscaped, and shout-out to that testicular analysis by Justin LeBar. Eight million <laughs> bottles, you said. That's the math, right? I mean, you're the Forbes guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're the first guy. <laughs> All right. Um, up next, Adam Cole makes his entrance, and then he moves himself up to the commentary desk before Orange Cassidy coming out. They have a stare down on the stage. Young Bucks come out. Ultimately, three on one. You're never going to uh, win on that one, Orange Cassidy. He gets low blowed and then gets some super kicks for his trouble. Uh, Adam Cole versus Orange Cassidy. Tons of potential here, Alfred. 
No, absolutely. I, I love it. You know, it's one of those magnetic moments where people, once they saw them kind of go face to face, kind of went crazy for it. And I'm surprised they're moving on from Jungle Boy so quickly, but I guess because they won that street fight where don't immediately have to get the one-on-one between Jungle Boy and Adam Cole, but I'm fine with this. I love the super kicks that the Young Bucks threw at Orange Cassidy in the vein of his lazy kicks. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, not only Orange Cassidy versus Adam Cole, but the best friends versus the elite should be a lot of fun too. Yeah, where, where are the best friends? Where yeah, that's a good question. They do this a lot in AEW. That, that's one of the things that bothers me because they did this with Jungle Boy to where, where he got beat down and his friends weren't there and they had no explanations for it. And so, you know, it's just kind of a basic thing in wrestling that, especially someone like AEW where there's so many stables, when somebody's out on their own getting beaten up, it, it's glaring that their buddies aren't there to help them. So at the very least, it should be explained. That's what I mean. In AEW, it is the ultimate uh, glaring, obvious sin because it's like the, that. Because that sometimes is is there is a big fault. It, it is the overbooking of gang warfare. So if somebody is a part of a group, which it's basically everybody, you know, CM Punk's on his own. But that's about it. I mean, it, it, everybody's associated with somebody else, and so if they're getting beat down, and that and that group at least doesn't even come out to at least just chase off the attackers. It is glaringly obvious and unless there's a story unless there's an already unless there's already an explained story of why they're not there or why they're barred from the building or they're barricaded in the bathroom whatever otherwise it's it's a huge kind of gap uh in what is otherwise aew's you know common trope which is again gang warfare wardlow's back out for a uh pumpkin squash against ac adams he's gonna uh, finish this off at pretty quick time uh not before doing a four pack of power bombs on ac adams crowd once again just getting into Wardlow's the big supposed to be the big bad uh muscle monster heel who's protecting chicken shit mjf but man when he's out there just on his own he nails one of these power bombs and fans just want to see him just continue to just destroy his opponents which is what he did uh i, I smell the very very slow babyface turn coming here soon Oh, yeah, it, it, it's coming. I mean, I thought it would have been happening by now, but I love the fact that they're taking their time with it because they have teased this in the past between MJF and Wardlow. I like the fact that they made a Wardlow look dominant in this match because it looks like he's going to face CM Punk before CM Punk gets to MJF. At least that's what was teased. And if that's the case, I don't want to see him just go out there and lose to Punk. I want to see him be dominant so people know how you know good this monster is. And it's kind of like the AEW equivalent to Suplex City in that it's a simple move, but he's so explosive in doing it that people go crazy for it, and he just, they just want him to do it again and again. And it's a very simple way of getting this big guy over, and I think they just put him out there. If they would have put him out here for four consecutive weeks doing this, by now he'd be where, like, Miro is. But they spread this out, and I do think that this is really cool that he, he gets to do these power bombs and really get over with what is supposed to be kind of this purest uh, wrestling technical type crowd. But he's so explosive, and I think it looks so good that he's able to get over and that was uh, Wardlow's 12th win in a row, for those of you keeping score at home. Uh, post-match, the chairman, Sean Spears, uh, lays a couple brutal chair shots on A.C. Adams. So uh, A.C. Adams probably making more money than he ever has on a given night of wrestling for his young career, but uh, he, he earned it physically. Yeah, he did. He earned it. <clears throat> All right, up next, the Gun Club up against Sting and Darby Allen. Sting walking out, back out to his old wrestling stomping grounds of Atlanta. Tony Schiavone getting siced on the mic to introduce Sting. Uh, and Sting altering up the face paint a little bit. He had his crow, uh, but but also extended it out with some of the uh, uh, attributes to Darby's face paint. And I, this this was a hell of a visual. Uh, I can't believe that. It's, I mean, we're coming up on Sting's one year anniversary when he showed up and has been aligned with Darby since. I can't believe it's took a year for him to uh, morph his face paint to this. Quite honestly. 
Yeah, yeah, they, they match. It looked like a real tag team, so that's cool. The only thing about this is that Darby's so much smaller than Sting that when they both have the same face paint, he just looks like one of Sting's goons or like his son or like his little brother, and it's just glaring that he's like a miniature version of Sting, which has never crossed my mind watching Darby and Sting together after about a year now because Darby has his own like half-and-half half thing going on, and he's Darby on the big star, but... Them matching like this did kind of seem like he was one of the minions instead of Darby Allen, although he did look good in the ring. Well, you want to talk about like a visual issue, or not an issue, but it's just a visual like, whoa. And it's more of a, it's not really as much of a knock on Darby as it is a compliment to Billy Gunn. When Darby do- dives into Billy Gunn in the ring and Billy catches him and then slams him, Billy, who is a legit 6'5", 6'6", and is just, just ripped and in such incredible shape for a guy who's almost 60. Good Lord. And then he's just slamming. It looked it looked like a man beating up an adolescent. <laughs> just at just at, the, at, the, at one of the camera cuts, it was like, oh my god! But again, it's not so much a knock on Darby because Darby has certainly proved that he is uh, his size should be not should not be his defining characteristic. He he's just crazy creative and 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 fun to watch. It's just more the compliment of Billy Gunn is freaking huge. Guy's a monster. It's crazy because in the Attitude Era, he's walking around and everybody's that size and if not bigger. So yeah. he never got that feeling that Bigley goes that big. But now it's, you know, a lot of smaller. The business has gotten a lot more lean. And that guy is like Andre the Giant. He's like, he's like almost. He even had a tan that looked, made him look like almost. So, so Billy Gunn and Sting, both in this match, both, both north of 55, um, but out there, you know, didn't, didn't, it didn't look. I mean, and I mean, Sting more so gets protected in terms of you know they they haven't picked his spots, but certainly neither man looks you know out of place. They you know they they fit and, and accomplish well. Billy out there with the Suns, the matching ring gear. They're going a little bit of a run here. That's looking pretty good. Uh, no surprise though, Scorpion Death Drop though from Sting. Uh, so Sting and Darby do get the win, but a pretty entertaining match. And like I said, kind of cool if, if you're a longtime wrestling fan to see Sting wrestling in the ATL again. Um, you know, a lot of history there uh, for Sting in his NWA WCW career. Backstage 2.0 and Daniel Garcia attacking Chris Jericho. So Chris Jericho, uh, I mean, really now, I don't, you know, has done all that he you know, has done a lot on the top of the card. Now really starting to move through the card of, of, of kind of picking spots out of where he can help. Who can he give some rub to by, by sharing some segments with? Yeah, I mean, this, and they gave them a lot. I mean, they beat the hell out of Chris Jericho. Another kind of instance where the inner circle was nowhere to be found, but I do feel like sometimes the inner circle tends to go their separate ways, uh, save for a couple of group matches that they've had recently. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it looks like 2.0 is really overachieving. I, if there's a year-end award for overachievers of the year in terms of when they were assigned, I don't think it was a lot of fanfare, all these NXT guys who are just kind of underneath guys. But they've worked with a lot of big names and obviously on the losing end for now, but – uh, I really like the ascent of 2.0. It's one of the more feel-good stories in pro wrestling. 2.0 and Daniel Garcia getting to work with a lot of these bigger names. And I think Daniel Garcia eventually, when they start letting him win, will benefit from this. What a uh, 12 months it's been for 2.0. You know, pushed in NXT, then not in NXT, then you know immediately grabbed up by AEW. I've had some memorable segments, you know, getting you know some appearances already on Dynamite. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a hell of a hell of a... 12 months for, for those two guys, particularly. So we get Taz now. He's the next one on the commentary carousel. He's out there with uh, Hobbs and, uh, and Hook standing behind him. Leo Rush comes out, cuts him off. Leo Rush says, come on, Taz, you're a commentator. You should know who I am. And uh, the whole thing is talking about Dante Martin, who then Dante Martin ends up walking out of the tunnel with Ricky Starks. And don't know if it's a swerve or something coming later, Alfred, but they at least let the segment end 
with Dante Martin right now as Team Taz and has abandoned Leo Rush. Um, I'll, I'll toss to you first on this because I'm very conflicted here. Yeah, it. I would be shocked if it was not a swerve. I will say that because he's d- not done anything physical with Leo Rush. Let's really explain why he's going over there. So I could see them doing a swerve in this match whenever they have it that he goes back to Leo Rush's side. At the same time, there's also an opportunity to have Dante Martin legit go at Team Taz, at least for now, and then have Leo Rush go and get Darius Martin if he's ready to come back. And maybe that will either convince Dante to go back with Leo Rush, or maybe we get a few there. But I do think the direction here is Dante eventually having a change of heart, and this is just a temporary thing with Team Taz. Yeah, I would hope so, because first off, Team Taz just, I mean, I don't, Ricky Starks looks good on his own. Powerhouse Hobbs looks good on his own, but Team Taz collectively uh, is it, kind of a dud. It, it just it hasn't the, the team has not had the impact that you know you, you, I'm sure they I'm sure it was set out to have. It just hasn't. It, um, so first off, I don't really think it's like the best. Like if Dante Martin truly was being put with Team Taz and he's staying there, eh. but also and even more so, Dante and Leo Rush have looked amazing together. I mean, and, that, and that's saying something for the level of tag team wrestling that that. The, how high the bar is in AEW for tag team wrestling. But Dante Martin and Leo Rush have gone out there and have just done some phenomenal things, just wild crowds and wild crowds being put in matches that weren't supposed to be the centerpiece of the night, you know? And, and so to, to take that away, if that in fact has actually happened, I think is a real head scratcher. So I'm, I'm hoping yeah, that this is all a big, you know, aha, we gotcha type thing from Leo and Dante. Cause I, I, this segment ended and I was, uh, I was, I was not happy. I was. Yeah, yeah. Dante and Leo are incredible together. And I've just been going on the notion like, oh, this is going to be a swerve. But I, I would not think that that's a good idea to split these two up and even have Dante go with Team Taz. I don't think that there's a future in that. I think it's going to be a black hole for Dante Martin in particular. I do think that his best shot is continuing to just have these great matches. You really shouldn't overthink things with Dante Martin. Put him out there in the ring. Him and Leo Rush just completely light the world on fire. And they will get over legitimately doing that. Absolutely. Get some women's action here. Chris Statlander versus Ruby Soho. Very competitive match. I want to give a shout to Ruby Soho, who at one point she thought she had it, and it was a false finish. One, two. Statlander kicks out, still alive. Ruby Soho sold this kick out with her eyes and facials really, really well. I mean, she she just had a great flabbergasted look of couldn't believe that Chris Statlander Statlander was still going. Uh, So that really came off well. I thought uh, Ruby does end up getting the win. So uh, she gets the win. They hug and shake hands. Uh, so now we know the final four, Alfred, to this TBS uh, title tournament. Ruby Soho up next against Nyla Rose. And then on the top, the other side of the bracket, it's Thunder Rosa versus Jade Cargill. So we're down to the final four. How do you see it playing out? It's a great final four. Um, so it's Thunder Rosa and Nyla Rose. It's going to be. Thunder Rosa versus Jade Cargo. Rich Jade Cargill, okay. And then uh, Ruby Soho and Nyla Rose. I could see Ruby and Jade Cargill in the finals. I could see that going either way, but I'm still going to stick with Jade Cargill. I, from the beginning, when this title was announced, she was the first person who came to my mind. And I do think that'd be a good final in that you could see either one of them winning. Uh, and I hope it's Jade. I think it's going to be Jade and Ruby Soho, and I think it's going to be a good match uh, in the finals of this tournament. Yeah, that's the same finals I got, Jade versus uh, Ruby. Uh, but And... I- I'm still, if I'm, if I'm making a bet, I'm going to lean a little bit more towards Jay. But again, I, I cite this. Tony Khan seems really over uh, happy that he's got Ruby. So I, I I wouldn't put it past him on on one to have her have 
this inaugural title either. So I guess if that's the final, if those two ladies do win their next matches and that is the final, it's a great final because it truly is unpredictable. I think you can make a case for either lady uh, for multiple reasons. Yeah. And don't sleep on Thunder Rosa either. She's been, you know, she's been now coming up and I think she's won like 30 matches in AEW, which is, you know, I don't think they talk about that enough, but, uh, but no, I can see Jake Cargill, but I, I like the fact that there's a lot of unpredictability here now. Yeah, no, and Thunder Rosa, she's, you're right. She's got a lot of momentum. If, I think it's a lock that Ruby makes the finals. Yeah, I don't think it's 100% that Jade does it, but I'm pretty confident. I, I think she's going to beat Thunder Rosa, but it's still a great sign that Thunder Rosa's gotten uh, you know, booked this far into the tournament, and obviously it looks like you know, she's going to be sticking around AEW, and so a lot of good things to come for her. Uh, she's a hell of a talent. So a uh, good locker room leader, too, from, from what I can gather, uh, is that Thunder Rosa. All right, main event time. Atlanta street fight time. Should know T-Pain in the yes. house. In the house, T Pain, auto tune in and all. Uh, which, by the way, shout out, I, I'm actually a T Pain fan. If you if you've never seen T Pain actually sing, I encourage you to go. The, the 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 most famous one, the one that did it all, was the NPR Tiny Desk. Yes. Go YouTube after this podcast. YouTube T Pain uh, NPR Tiny Desk, and you're gonna hear him do three songs stripped down with just a keyboardist, and there is no auto tune. This is him in his sultry voice that he actually has. Um, Phenomenal stuff. My Amazing talent. Yes, he definitely has a good voice, you know, outside of the auto tune and deserves more credit for changing music with auto tune because people make fun of him for it. But that's where music went and that's where it still is. There's still a lot of people doing that. And T Pain uh, took that to the next level. Didn't invent it, but he definitely revolutionized it. So shout out to T Pain. Love seeing him on TV tonight. Me too. And he, he did. And plus, what he did made a lot of people money. So, yeah. uh, you know. It's kind of a. It's kind of like back in the day, '80s Hulk Hogan. You can. There's a lot of things you can not like him, but he made him, and he made a lot of people money. So, um, it is what it is. All right, Andrade versus Cody in a street fight. Andrade out first. Then the lights go out for Cody's entrance. Big booze all through the building. And remember, this is Cody's backyard. This is his home state, his home city. He lives in in, in the suburbs of Atlanta. Uh, he, he he went to high school in Atlanta. They referenced on commentary him being a high school wrestler. Uh, so I mean, this is his backyard. Uh, getting resounding boos though. Andrade comes and attacks him at the stage. Arn Anderson falls off the stage. Uh, I laugh because I think Arn's fine, so it's okay to laugh about it now. <laughs> but this match starts hot and heavy. They start on the stage. They fight all the way through the crowd. They're hitting each other with 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 you know drinks and weapons. Very up up in your face. Uh, Moon salting off of uh you know off of the barricades. Finally make their way back into the ring. Um. T-Pain uh, assists Cody, gives him a chair to use. We then see Andrade beating uh, Cody with his own weightlifting belt. Um, hits Cody with a laptop. Uh, Cody also pulls out a sledgehammer. He disregards that. He doesn't need a sledgehammer. Then he pulls out the golden shovel. Uh, gets ready to use that before Andrade dives on him there. Uh, and this all builds and builds and builds. We get blood. We get the tables pulled out. We get more chains. It all builds to a table being set up in the corner. All of a sudden, a masked person in an AEW hoodie uh, comes in the ring, unmasks themselves. It uh, proves to be Brandy, Cody's wife. She's got lighter fluid. She sets this table ablaze, and then Cody proceeds uh, to, to, to back suplex slam he and Andrade into this flaming table where, where if Cody gets the pin, one, two, three. Um, crowd cheering out of respect for this one. As Cody's pinning Andrade, Andrade's got a piece of fire that's on his chest that he's frantically trying to get off cody's got different shards of 
of of of wood that are still burning on his body. Um, there's a lot we can strip down, and we'll and we'll go through a lot of this. But just real quick on the just the on just the visual, holy hell. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And, you know, a late entrant for finish of the year. I thought this was incredible, insane for taking something like this. And there was even what made it even scarier was they kind of slipped at the beginning of that superplex. So there was that that you had to worry about in addition to them making that big spot through a flaming table. That was just so crazy to watch. Uh, you know, I, I'm surprised. Cody did bleed in this match, but he did not bleed as much as I thought he would. Uh, but I thought this was perfect for a street fight. Uh, Cody continued to do a good job of balancing that baby face versus heel. He gave him a little bit of the heel, Cody. You saw Brandy come in and light the table on fire kind of in heel fashion. And I like the fact that he is this character that I think he's going to embrace the fact that he gets these boos, but he's not going to be a full-on heel. He'll play to them here and there through the match, but I think this is perfect the way they're playing it. And, uh, you know, yes, he's in his hometown. And it should be mentioned, they were chanting for Cody at one point. He got a This Is Awesome chant and whatnot. So it's, the, the negativity is always going to be the thing that draws you, you know, toward that. We're always going to pay more attention to that. You know, that's just how we're wired as humans. Uh, but there is a lot of positivity. Yes, he's in his hometown, but I do think this is going to be the norm in terms of we're going to get some people who support Cody and a lot of people who passionately boo him. And I think it's fine because it feels very real. Well, let's remember, and you're right, as Cody was fighting in the crowd, <clears throat> you're right, there were a Cody chance that amped up. <clears throat> let's remember, this guy, this he, he was born in this business. He's been in this, he's been in locker room since he was able to walk. So he, both as a kid growing up watching Dusty and watching Dusty's nemesis and Ric Flair, and then just in his professional career, spending so many years in WWE when, when it was the John Cena show, Cody has seen, if you're polarizing, there's a lot of stain power to that. Because you're, you're never, it's never really going to get stale. You can be cheered one night, booed the next, cheered one move. You know, so there's there's a certain staying power to being polarizing. Uh, it's the moment that they stop caring to do anything is when you have a problem. When they don't have, when they don't, when they don't, when they don't muster up enough energy to even stand up and boo or cheer you, that's the problem. Uh, I love Bad Keith Gaming five dollars says, "Gotta love that Cody has to set himself on fire to get cheers." Uh, very good commentary there. I <laughs> uh, love that when you think of it, <laughs> Terrence. Uh, with it. Uh, Cody is the exact opposite of his father. So let's let's take a look at this. So, uh, you know, I've seen this, and I want to uh, get your opinion, Alfred. I've seen negativity already. This is as I was scrolling, scroll, scrolling, excuse me, social media, and even some of the comments here of people not liking the spot, whether the whether it's the the logic or lack thereof of Brandy setting this table on fire that her husband's getting ready to go through. When you watch it, Cody certainly absorbs far more of the fire than Andrade. To that point, at least that, I don't think that was a botch. I'm, I think that's how it was designed because Cody, it was, the commentary even talked about this. It was noticeable that Cody had something going on in his back. Yeah. Now, I looked at it the whole match because it looked like his skin was peeling or it looked like he had something dripped on him. Commentary, whether they were supposed to or not, actually ended up doing a, a good cover-up. They noted how when Andrade and Cody were out there fighting and they, they were in the trash cans or whatever, you know, maybe it looked like something from the trash even was dripped all over him. It looks now, now that we've seen the match, that it was some probably some type of protection so he didn't get burned. We if, if, Go back and watch Kane and Undertaker Inferno match, and Kane has something, it's like a gel, all rubbed along his sleeve, which is where he got caught on fire. It's some kind of the thing to contain the fire, uh, probably prevent uh, for more harsh burning. So my guess is that's probably what Cody had on his back. So my guess is it's not a botch. It is designed for Cody to take the brunt of that, and Andrade probably did not have that same protection. But I can also see the flip side of the coin of, well, Cody's the one that was engulfed in fire, but yet he was the one who pops up and gets the one, two, three. 
Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, this might be getting too in the weeds of the secrets of the trade. I just think visually, I did not tune in tonight's Dynamite expecting to see a flaming table. So just for that alone, I got to say, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's a good point that they did kind of spring that on you. And you're just like, oh, my God, we're getting a flaming table on TV. And, yeah, it didn't look a little awkward that Cody fell to the table and then immediately was the one who got the win. So, yeah, you could break it down like that. And that is a very valid complaint. But I do think that uh, it, visually just looking at how they pulled this off was very impressive. Yeah, um, and all the people saying a lot of, a lot of, maybe too much lighter fluid uh, by Brandy. I mean, again, yeah, I guess more. I mean, the last thing you want is to not put enough and you try to light the table and like the table doesn't light on fire and it, you, you know, the ref's counting you down. You got 45 seconds to get it off the air. <laughs> give Brandy no- a break. Don't give her heat for lighter fluid. I mean, it looked incredible in terms of the amount of fire that was there. Yeah, visually, it uh, visually was. I mean, w- when was the last flaming table we got on mainstream? american pro wrestling i mean that's a good question i really can't tell you an ecw comes to mind but when wwe did it with edge and then they did edge and foley match one of my favorite matches of all time in 2006 yeah. at one night stand hardcore match with terry funk and uh cactus jarris it was mick foley and then it, and edge uh they had a flaming table spot for that one night stand pay-per-view but i don't remember after that pay-per-view. after that though wrestlemania wasn't it yeah. uh rk or was it, it was foley and edge there right well, no, it was Foley and Edge at WrestleMania, and then after that, Foley and Edge got together, and then they had the match at One Night Stand, I believe. But there was a flaming table spot at Mania 22. 22, 21? Yeah, Mania 22. Okay. Because Edge speared. Did he spear Foley? Yeah, he speared Foley through the flaming table. Because Lita lit it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, that might be the last one that I can think in that time. Because anything before that would have been ECW, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I don't know, that's, again, visually, I mean, you, you know, we, we see a lot of chair shots and tables with this and that, but flaming tables, not something that you get all the way around. Uh, all in all, okay, so flaming table side, so Cody gets a win, um, where's he at, where's Andrade at, is, is, are, are you, is, is, is this is this a good turning point for Andrade's stock to rise back up, because I'll be honest, since Andrade's came, you know, we've seen Andrade, we've seen Miro, there's a lot of names, you know, Adam Cole, Ruby, a lot of names to come you know, over from from WWE, uh, Andrade. I don't think has been. He hasn't had this big shooting star up his butt. It's been kind of eh, up to this point. Yeah, and I think he's headed right back to purgatory. Unfortunately, I, I think it was kind of slow how he started. There was a little bit of a spark there when he started to get a stable around him, and he had Jose. And then there were those rumors that maybe Ric Flair is coming in. I really liked what they were doing with Chavo. I mean, I. I led to believe that they got rid of Chavo because, you know, maybe they were making room for Ric Flair or something like that. But I think Chavo could really help that act. I thought they were great together in the brief moments that we saw that. But now, after losing this big match and they lost the tag team match at full gear, I do see Andrade going right back to being in purgatory and continuing to kind of try to find his way in AEW. Because, yeah, I agree. I don't think he has really overachieved or lived up to these expectations, especially when you see guys like Malachi Black and Miro and a lot of these former WWE guys come in on really day one a lot of times and become superstars. Yeah, I mean, that really says a lot, right, about um, the consistency and just the whatever about Andrade. I mean, Andrade's been there for six months, and he's already had three different managers. He's brought in by Vicky. Then all of a sudden Chavo jumps in. Now he's got this Jose. I mean, like, that in and of itself feels like a – we just haven't quite figured out what we want to do or don't, I don't want to say don't care, but 
again, just don't have like a firm plan or, or, oh, it's not working like we thought. So let's try that. Like, I don't know. It's just not, I don't know. Um, and I couldn't explain to you what his problem with Pac is. Like, I've watched the storyline, and they, you know, he talks about how he wants to pal around with the the Lucha Brothers and stuff like that. But they they haven't done a good enough job, I think, explaining why Pac and Andrade have problems together. They have good wrestling matches, but I don't want to know what the story is there. Yeah, that's that's a fair. I mean, that's a fair, and that's that's fair. You always have to be careful with this with AEW because they they will tell they will sometimes fill those little details into the story on one of their secondary things whether it's dark or elevation or being the elite um which yeah that that could be a problem if you if, if, that could be a problem if you're somebody who just watches dynamite because you you can miss out on some little things you know i know wb does it to an annoying point point of how much they will they'll show you the same recap package three times in, in a three-hour show uh but I understand the motivation is that they want to make sure they can always bring somebody new up to speed. Um, but yeah, you know, but AEW they will sometimes fill some of these you know minutia details in on uh, other 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 mediums. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm not, I can't. I can't back you up either. I can't quite say <laughs> the depth of what the issue is between Pack and Andrade. But somebody stole somebody's lunch money. We know that. <laughs> That's where we're at with this. Uh, overall, though, a fun, entertaining episode of Dynamite, and I, it's exciting. Two 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 weeks from today, winter is coming. Um, so another one of their, you know, premium dynamite episodes that is pay-per-view kind of quality, uh, with, with some big, big matches that look like they'll be brewing up for it. So that's exciting. Yeah. Really exciting. I like how they do these television specials. It's going to be good for them. They're in a ratings funk right now coming off of the Thanksgiving holiday. So a show like that can't come soon enough. And I like the fact that it's going to be Brian Danielson against Hangman Adam Page on television. I think it's going to be a great television match and I hope they get a lot of time. Jody Shauna Jenkins, uh, five Canadian, says is uh, Jose the Robert Stone of AEW. He <laughs> is jacked. Yeah, he did come running back out there with us uh, at one point when Cody had the golden shovel. Uh, well, I mean, like Robert Stone, uh, Jose, I believe, used to be a, used to do used to be a wrestler uh, before he, you know, is in this mouthpiece role. So uh, yeah, I guess maybe he is the Robert Stone of AEW. Good call. Yeah, it's a good comparison. Very very straight ahead. Except he he doesn't have the fashion of Robert Stone. Robert yeah. Stone takes a lot more fashion risks to cover up those muscles that is true that is true so that was your aew dynamite tonight uh, of course we appreciate everybody in the super chats we appreciate everybody in the chat regardless everybody watching whether you're watching live whether you're listening after the fact uh, ask, i ask every week and i always love the responses i get so i'll ask again always tweet us uh, at this is nasty at justin labar where are you at when you watch this podcast are you watching live are you listening live are you watching or listening the day after are you ignoring the boss ignoring uh the teacher what is it you're doing uh, that this podcast is getting you through your day. Whatever it is, we appreciate it, but love if you could share that. Uh, Alfred, where can people find you? What do you got going on in Forbes? Well, right now on Forbes, I got a piece uh, comparing the AEW TBS title tournament to the Queen's Crown in terms of match times, which a lot of was criticized for the W Queen's Crown. So they've had seven matches for the AEW TBS title tournament, at least at the point where I posted, and the Queen's Crown was seven matches. So just comparisons there. I don't think there's going to be a lot of surprise in terms of it, already an hour of ring time for this AEW tournament uh, and only 20 minutes in seven matches for WWE. So very interesting stuff there uh, that I uncovered. Uh, follow me on Twitter at This Is Nasty, YouTube Pro Wrestling Bits. Just dropped a bit about Big Swole leaving. Uh, Godspeed, Big Swole. I think she's going to do great things. I actually kind of thought that that was Big Swole under that hood in the main event. I thought, oh, this is Big Swole. That's her. But it, it turned out to be Brady Rose, which makes more sense with Cody. But uh, shout out good, to Big Swole. Good stuff. So check out Pro Wrestling Bits. And yeah, uh, interesting there. You're doing the comparison of the two tournaments. Uh, Alfred with the next-gen stats 
of uh, <laughs> ring time, bell to bell time. This is going to be fun to uh, to see that side by side. Look forward to that. Always good there. Uh, at Justin Labar is where you can find me. Uh, of course, I'm here every single Wednesday night with Alfred. I'm here most Monday nights with uh, whichever cast we have after Raw. Uh, Friday mornings, you can check me out on Busted Open Sirius, uh, Busted Open on Sirius XM channel 156 uh, every 10, every more every Friday morning at 10 a.m. with Dave LaGreca and Mark Henry. So uh, if you enjoy us, there's no way to avoid us. We're everywhere. Uh, if you don't like us, just hit the mute button, I guess. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks to Manscaped. Thanks to everybody here at Wrestling Inc. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, do the thing, and we'll talk to you next week. Be safe. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.